Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope, and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. All right, good morning. Good morning. I'm cutting you guys off early because you're going to do this again in a second. Okay, so we've been talking about um, how to hack your spiritual life. And what we mean by that, uh, hacking is not like you're sick or not like hacking into somebody's computer, but breaking the rules, which is what it means to hack into a computer. But hacking your spiritual life means breaking the restrictions that you think are there. So here's like an example in normal life of hacking something, but it's not what you think it is. So um, I saw somebody do this where they had a baby, and the baby just started crawling, right? And so they looked, and they went, ooh, I've got an idea. The baby's crawling over, all over the house anyways. So they um, took one of those onesies, you know, the ones that zip all the way up that you wish you could still wear today, but you look goofy if you do, but kids can wear it. So they took the onesie, they went and bought a mop, uh, you know, the kind of, not the foam kind, but the one with the things going everywhere. And they cut a bunch of the piece of the mop off, and then they put it on the forearms of the onesie, and then right down here on the quads of the uh, onesie. And then when little Junior was walking around, he was sweeping the house. Like hacking, hacking their life. Like, oh, this would be, I, I can't get to that. I can't. Perfect. Junior's already going all over the house. Might as well just let him do the sweeping on his own, and he gets more freedom. Now, some of you may think that's child, uh, whatever, bad, child what? Sleep? Labor. Child labor. Yes. Okay. I was like, I don't know if it's child slavery, but yes, child labor for sure. So they may have broke some laws there, but still they're hacking their family life. Hacking your spiritual life means not thinking that there's only one way to interact with who you are and especially to interact with the God of the universe, the one who created you, loved you, came, lived, and died and rose again for you. Um, So what I thought, since we've been talking about this, we gave a challenge. And I wanted to start with this, and then we're going to have you guys talk about it. Um, We gave you the challenge to every day make it your goal to give God a minimum of five minutes. I mean, everybody can do that, right? So how are you going to hack that? How are you going to make that work? Now, that doesn't mean that you have to do it the traditional way, which means you go into a back room, and you get on your knees, and then you sit there. And you're like, I don't know what to do right now. I don't know how to do this. You could do it that way. That's a very traditional way. But there's many different ways to do it. So what I thought I would do for the five minutes and for the 15 minutes, remember it was the five, 15, the 15 minutes was during a week. Make sure that you spend at least 15 minutes a week reading the Word of God. Now, some of you may go, that's a really low, isn't it? I mean, I try to do minimum of 15, anything. Because the reality is we all admitted to each other, that would probably be a step up for most of us. Because for whatever reason, we don't. So we wanted to, to give you tools to make that happen. So I'm going to give you some of the tools that I use in my own personal life. Um, not all of them, and these aren't the only ways to do it, but I thought I'd give you some you know, personal examples of that. And then I'm going to have you guys share with each other the when, where, and what you would do next to spend time with God. I'll give you more on that in a second. So 
Here's some practical tools that people gave me that I would give you. This is a book called Devotional Classics. Um, mine is actually falling apart. So much so that if I go like this, half the book falls out um, because it's so good. And what it is, it has like a weekly thing. And it has, um, so this is from Martin Luther, which makes you feel really fancy when you're reading from some old guy. Um, and it has excerpts from what he taught on prayer. This happens to be on prayer. And then it has questions for you at the end. It has a time of prayer. And it's like laid out for me. The reality is I'll just get, oh, I need direction. This is a good direction tool for me. I'll give you a few of the uh, book tools and then I'll go on to something else. This is one that I've given to um, our entire leadership team and the, uh, the boys at La Casa. It's called um, A Guide to Prayer for Ministers. And you may be going, well, I'm not a minister. And as we say here at Branches, every member is a minister. And what this is, this is from the um, Book of Common Prayer style. This is an old method where what they will do is, is they'll have um, readings for every day of the week, for every week of the year. And it'll have a prayer here in the beginning, a psalm, and a scripture to read for the day. See? Then you bust out your 15 minutes during the week right there. What? And then it has readings for reflection, and it'll have different people on a subject. So, so for example, um, let's just randomly choose one here. This one, Beyond Forgiveness, is the theme for this week. So it'll have scriptures on that, and it'll have people writing on that. It has uh, Harry Emerson Fosdick writing on that, uh, Carlo Corretto, St. Teresa of Avila, Henry Nowen, George MacDonald, and writing on that subject. And so there's a full pattern here. Um, the reason I like this book also is because I use it as a tool for a retreat. You can do your own retreat. It could be two hours. It could be three hours. For many of you, a retreat would look like one hour because you don't ever have an hour. Uh, for some of you, it could be a whole weekend because you do nothing. So you could have a whole weekend to go and have a retreat, and it has it laid out for you how, how to do it. It has like 12 different retreat models. Um, and even in this, you're like, wait, can I do that? So here's a spiritual retreat, the kind of thing that monks would do, you know, like the really spiritual people. You arrive, 30 minutes of silence which means you just don't talk. You don't do anything. How weird is that? Yet you can do that, right? Uh, scripture readings, readings for reflection, reflection, prayer, journal writing, which means you can write, and then recreation. What does that mean? Whatever you want. In your spiritual retreat model, how's that? Like, talk about hacking the spiritual life. You probably didn't know that part of your spiritual retreat could be surfing. Hmm. Part of your spiritual retreat could be going for a walk. Part of your spiritual retreat could be doing... Push-ups? I guess some of you are into that stuff. Whatever it is that is recreation for you, you could do that. Um, rest, you can sleep. Did you know that's part of a retreat model? Kind of nice, huh? Well, I can't do that. I'm so, if I fall asleep, I've broken the rule of prayer. Maybe you need to fall asleep. Um, and then it says repeat the cycle. So there's a tool I like to use a lot. I won't go through all of them. Um, journaling. Uh, this one is an awesome tool uh, that I don't do anymore. But some of you might like it. Uh, I thought, oh, I've got to be the person that journals. That's the way you're supposed to do it. It's just not who I am. This is an old journal from um, 2002. But one thing I still do with my little journals, this is my current journal. One thing that I do do with them is, you know when you go and you go to pray and you've got all these things going through your mind and you're like, oh, 
have so many things going through my mind right now. I can't pray. Who says those aren't the things that you should be praying about? So what I will do is I will take whatever thoughts those are, and let's say I'm sitting down right now, and the first thing that comes to my mind, my boy's toilet. I mean, that's what came to mind. Sorry about that. But that's the thing that's in my, bo- my mind. And why is that in my mind? Because I'm worried about my kids and the cleanliness of the house. I write it down. Cleanliness of house. Here's the craziest thing. The stuff that's going on through my mind that's racing all over the place, when I put it down on the paper, almost all the time it seems to leave my mind. I don't have to think about it anymore because I wrote it down. And then I think, oh, I've got to pay that bill. I'm worried about my finances. I put it down. And I pray for that. Lord, these are, this is your money. This is your stuff. I'm going to put that down. Um, I think about some friend, you know, that's really irritated with me, and I write that down. Or some friend that I'm really irritated, and I write that down. And as we'll talk about here in a little bit, when I write it down, then I'm like, ooh, maybe I should do something about that. And then you start praying about that. Maybe the stuff that's floating around in your mind is something you should be praying about. Maybe you're here right now, and someone brought in their baby, and you're sitting here, and you're like, Lord, I want to meet you. And then you hear a baby crying, like, oh, that's bugging me. Maybe you should be praying for that child. Maybe that child screaming will remind you of the screaming that's going on inside of you. Maybe don't look at the interruptions as interrupting. Uh, here's another thing that I like to do um, in, in my prayer time is, uh, many of you guys remember Buzzy. They moved out to Lake Elsinore, so he doesn't get to hang out here that much. But I'd have him teach a lot, and Buzzy knows this. He's weird. And he has these great ideas of prayer. And so he did his first yoga class. And so he went and did this yoga class. And if you've ever done, I think he did the heated yoga. I can't remember. I know he's going to pass out, so it's probably heated. But he's also out of shape, so it could have not been heated. But he was, he was doing his, his, his yoga stuff, and he and Bethy were going through it, and they just said, you know what? It's such a full-body experience. That's how prayer should be, isn't it? So they would take that time of yoga, and I don't know what the person was saying up front, and I know they didn't, but they use that as a time of prayer, like a full-body prayer. So I heard that, and I was like, why don't I do that? When I'm stretching, because I'm old and I have to stretch every day, and during that stretching time now, I make it like a full prayer time. And that's, remember we talked about that with prayer. To, if you want to learn to pray, the best way to learn to pray, to sit with God, is to pray, to sit with God. And the more you do it, you become more experienced. And just like a stretch, you kind of have to hold the stretch. In case you want to learn a stretch today, this one right here. Now, you don't just stop and pop out back up. Because if you really want the stretch to work, like prayer, you've got to kind of sit in it. Notice how my fingers aren't touching the ground yet? If you breathe and kind of sit into it, then you can go deeper and deeper. It's the same with prayer. Like the more you're in it, it's like a stretch. You get deeper into it. A couple more things, and then I'm going to break you guys into, well, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do, because then you'll just think about what I'm going to do to you, and you won't think about what I'm saying. Um, what I'm currently doing uh, in terms of my scripture reading during the week is um, there are so many amazing apps. And I go to this one called YouVersion, which has all these scriptures. And it has these Bible reading plans, like a ton of them. You can read through the whole Bible or whatever. I'm going currently through one that we actually went through as a church, like when we started, called the Essential 100. And so every day, it'll give you scriptures that you can read. And it's a hundred of the most essential scriptures in the Bible. So this one right here is Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6. And the next day would be Psalm 51. 
And then the one that I've been going through uh, over the past few days is in 1 Kings. I'm never going to read 1 Kings. I'm not that excited about it. Um, but when I read through it and I'm like, okay, God, I'm here to listen. I'm not here to check this off my list that I read the Bible. I'm coming here because, honestly, God, I want to hear from you. So I'm going to go where this leads me. I'm going to come to this with an open heart and open mind, and I want you to show me how you reveal yourself to your people. I want you to show me how people have responded, how you want me to respond. I, I want to sit at your feet. And so right now, currently, that's what I'm using, and it's taking me through that. Um, that is a very easy way to explain an old ancient tradition called Lectio Divina, which means you let the Word of God speak to you. So those are a few of the ways that I have. Now, I know you have a bunch of different ways or ways you've heard. So this is what we're going to do right now. Um, Jared and I were joking about uh, Sunday mornings, and even the way the chairs are set up, it's like, okay, it's just you and me. I don't know who's around me. Um, and yet, what we're all about here at Branches, the whole reason we even go into two services is because we're here to give people the opportunity to have life change. And one of the ways that God really moves, you don't always have to pray alone. You can do that in groups. Um, and you don't always have to close your eyes and pray, but by interacting with people and focusing on the living God and sharing with each other, God moves. So this is what we're going to do. This is the question I have for you. I want to know, I want you guys to be open to sharing. You, you don't have to, not everybody has to share in your group, groups of three or four, uh, and this is the question. When are you going to spend time with God? Next. When's the next time? Uh, when, where, where are you going to go? And what's going to happen there? I've given you some different models. You may say, hey, I'm going to go for a hike. Hey, I'm going to go for a surf, and I'm going to spend 10 minutes of that where I don't actually catch waves. It's going to be really hard for me, so I'm going to paddle some, whatever it is, come up with something. Now, in that group, you do not have to share. You do hear me, right? So in your groups, don't look over and go, so you, what are you going to say? Don't do that to anybody, okay? Um, in the same way, don't be the one person that dominates the whole five minutes because this is only five minutes long. So make sure you share a little bit and say, does anyone else want to go? And if they just stare at you like this, ah, then you can fill the rest of the three minutes. But groups of three to five right now, what, where, and how? No, where, when, and what? Or how? Okay, ready, go. Okay, so we, we we talked about doing the 515 and going and spending time with God. But this is the what I'm going to share briefly this morning. I've kind of taken the message and broke it up into two parts. You just had the first part, and here's the second part. What can you expect? Like, what's it going to be like when you develop that friendship with God, or especially when you get to that point where you're actually sitting with Him What's going to happen during that interaction? And my question for you this morning is, do you want to listen or do you want to hear? And there's a big difference. To listen means you're coming to listen and obey. That's what the word listen, that's, what's, that's what understood, expected in the word listen, is that you're coming to listen to then do it. Hear means I'm just coming to hear. It's almost like I'm coming and if I like it, Okay, and if I don't, well, I'm probably going to leave. There's a difference between listening and hearing. And so when we talk about coming before God, 
are we coming to listen or to hear? To hear would be like what we talked about with God being a genie. God is not your personal genie. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not the head of customer service for God. What we talk about when we say hearing and not listening is as if you're coming to shop or you're coming to explore or, or to like when um, we have to say this all the time when we go to the mall. We're just looking. So looking could be the same thing as just hearing. And I want us to, to be honest with the fact that many of us really don't want to have that honest interaction with God. I talked about that before with doing those days of solitude. People go, oh, that must be fantastic, bro. You must love those days. They're the hardest thing to do because I know what's going to happen during those times when I'm alone with God. God is not going to show up and go, hi, I brought my little notebook here, and what do you need? I'm here to fulfill your every dream. I know that's not the way it's going to work because I know that God is the one and only God, and he's going to deal with stuff. And so what I want us to do is look at Genesis. I want us to look at a, this is a, a pattern that keeps showing up time and time again in the Word of God. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve. If you've never heard of them before, um, you can look at them in these Bibles being passed out. Genesis chapter 3 should be easy to find. There's a lot of books in the Bible that are hard to find. Genesis is easy. It's the first one. So go there, Genesis chapter 3, and verses 1 through 8. I'm going to kind of tell you the story if you don't know it. Uh, Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, and they were told this. Don't eat from the tree of life, or you will die. Anything else, anywhere else, don't mess with that tree. Anywhere else you can go, anything else you can do, live it up. And, of course, we know that the serpent talked to Eve, and then Eve talked to Adam, and they ate from it. Okay, I'm not going to get into the details of that, but I do want us to look at verse 8 here. Um, I'm sorry, verse 7. If we could put that up there. When the woman, verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She saw, she reasons, I think it's a good thing that I participate with this fruit. Heard what God said, heard what the serpent said, but you know what, as I look at this, I think it's a pretty good idea. And so she went with it, and it was a bad idea because she wasn't trusting God. You'll notice we'll keep coming back to that time and time again. But I want us to see what happens afterwards. That's what I want us to focus on. Because what they immediately do here in verse 8 is it says that they run and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So they literally run to the forest to hide. This is completely outside of their normal way of interacting with God. In fact, we see here that they hear the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. Why is God walking? Why isn't he running? When I'm in my house and I know something's going wrong, and I'm talking about with my kids, I run to that situation. I'm like, whoa! And when they hear the running, they kind of go and hide. That's not what's happening here. In fact, that's not God's nature. When we see God revealing himself, God never runs. The only time that we see God running is when he runs out of love to embrace. Think of the prodigal son. When Jesus is describing how our heavenly father is, and the son that's walked away. And when that son comes back, that's when we see God sprinting. 
God has good form when he runs. Socket to pocket, right? Socket to pocket. And he runs, why? Because he loves. Do you understand that about God? When you go to sit with him, do you understand that that's how he sees us? He's walking in the garden. Why? Because that's what he would normally do with Adam and Eve, but he's not doing it now. Why? Because something has changed with Adam and Eve. This is the first time that they feel guilt. And they've taken that guilt, which is just, oh yeah, I shouldn't have done that, and it somehow gets transformed in their heart like it does in ours and turns into shame. And they look around, they go, we're naked. Nothing's changed. They were naked before, but now they can see it and they feel shame about that. So God approaches them. They're hiding. And so you know what God does, right? What the world? He doesn't do that. He's calm. He wants them to learn here. So what does he say? Verse 9. He says, where are you? Where are you? What kind of question is that? This is God. Do you think he didn't know where they were? Let that sink in for a second. When you think of sitting with God, there are those things that you've done or that you've experienced or that you've felt or maybe it's been done unto you and you're like, I'm not bringing that up. No, 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 no. I'm, you're going and you're hiding in the woods thinking that God can't see you, thinking that God doesn't know where you're at. It's comical, isn't it? But yet we still do that because that's in our nature. Don't beat yourself up about it. Just realize that we do the same thing. If there wasn't an Adam and Eve, and you were Adam, or you were Eve, you would do the same thing because it's part of who we are. But look at how God interacts with them. He asks, where are you? He knows exactly where they're at. So why is he asking that question? Because he wants them to know where they're at. They don't realize the difference from where they were before and where they're at now. And we're not talking about geography. They used to sit and interact with God and walk in the garden with him and, and laugh and joke and talk and have fellowship, which is a very spiritual word for saying hanging out. They would hang out with God, but now they're not. And so God wants to bring it to their attention, almost like the Socratic method. Like, I'm going to ask you a question so that you can learn. Where are you? I want you to say it out loud, Adam. I want you to think about this. So he just asks, where are you? And Adam responds this way. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Okay? Now, nowadays, you know what it is. You had that dream, right? That dream. We all know what we're talking about. Don't pretend like you don't have that dream. I know I'm not the only one, right? Where you're naked in your dream, and everybody can see you, and they're all dressed, and you're like this or whatever, because that's just this weird thing. Like, you, don't, you feel like you're exposed. Like, everybody can see not only who you are, but they can see inside of you almost. And it's like, ha, ah, ah. ha, Now, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. What's changed? He was naked before. Why is he hiding now? I like what God is doing here because it's almost like he's playing hide-and-seek with a kid. You know when you play hide-and-seek, like, like, we all know where the kids are at. There's any kids here? Cover their ears. Like, I'll walk when I was playing hide-and-seek with my kids, and I know exactly where they're at. And I'll just sit around there. Oh, where could they be? Where could they? And they're like, 
that's kind of what's going on here, only it's not a funny moment. But God knows exactly where he is, and he's trying to interact with him. He could just go, aha, there you are. But he doesn't do that. Because not to make him laugh, but he's trying to accomplish something here. What is God trying to accomplish with you? You think you're hiding, but he knows where you are. This is the question for you this morning. Where are you? Do you know where you're at? So he asked him, how'd you know you were naked? Um, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Simple question. How did you know you were naked? And did you have some of the fruit from the tree that I told you not to have it from? And as children do, as adults do, just cover it up. You either lie about it, you change the subject, you move on, or you blame somebody else or some circumstance or something else. I'm in this situation. I'm lost out here in the woods, but God, it's not my fault. Let me direct the attention here. Now, he's not trying to talk God into this. Most of the time we do it for ourselves because we just don't want to come face to face with the reality that we do this. But we need to be honest with ourselves. We are, if, if I was Adam and God gave me the opportunity to be the first man here on earth, I would have done the exact same thing. I've done this exact same thing. I do this exact same thing every day with God and with other people. But we have to get to that point where we just go, oh, I'm doing that thing again. I'm doing that thing where I try to cover it up or I try to distract or I try to move on. Who told you you were naked? A rhetorical question. And Adam chooses to direct the attention towards the woman. It's so much easier if we just come clean with ourselves first. We're going to mess up. We all, like sheep, have and will go astray. That's what the Word of God teaches. But you don't need the Word of God to tell you that. You know that in your own life. You know what you want to do, but you can't do it. You want It's going to happen. Okay, But when it does happen, are you going to run and hide? And then when it is being dealt with, are you going to cover it up and try to pretend like nothing happened? So then God goes to the woman. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So she says, I was deceived. These were the circumstances and it's his fault. Okay, this is not about Satan. This is not about the snake. This is about God and man, male and female. What if? What if we understood what Richard Foster said? This is what he said about prayer. This is what he said about being in God's presence. To be in God's presence is to change. I want you to hear that again because I think it's so beautifully said. To be in God's presence is to change. They are in God's presence and they have the opportunity to say, yes, I did that, and to move towards change. But that never happens. And I know what we assume happens afterwards, that God casts them out. No, that's not my understanding of this passage. My understanding of this passage is they cast themselves out because they were unwilling to change. We talk about this all the time. When Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. 
Repent, as we've said over and over again, does not mean feel bad, feel sorry for yourself, feel like, oh, I really blew it. No, repent means to change. That's what repent means. It just means change. And in your mind, you may hear the, the word repent and you see it like, repent! But maybe it means repent. Think about that. It's change. Adam, did you do this? Yes, I did this. My bad. What do you need to do, God? Like, what do I need to do? Okay, well, this is where I need to go from here. But that never comes up. Eve, did this really happen? Did you really do this? Yeah, it's really not the circum. I mean, I, sh- I knew. You told me. I knew it here. I knew it was there, but I didn't want to bring it up. And I just, I, j- I don't know what happened. I seem to, I'm sorry. How would this have all gone differently? Would they still be romping naked? Eating fruit from trees? I don't know. But I do know for us that we're missing out because we choose to go off on our own. I have a friend that does this. He, he has to hire and fire people all the time. Like, that's his job, hiring and firing. Except when I asked him, I said, wow, what's it like firing people? He goes, I never fired anybody. Uh, yeah, you have. Because of the people that work in there, and then they talk to you, and then they're not working there anymore. How is it that you didn't fire them? This is what he said. He goes, I don't have to. He goes, I sit with him. And we go through, you know, how things are going. And I kind of coached him through. I said, remember we talked about this, yeah, and, and that hasn't changed. And we talked about this, and that hasn't changed. And you seem to not want to put in these hours, or you can't seem to get along with this person. And we talked about having to do these things, and you're not, no. Well, it doesn't seem like this is really working out for you then. So maybe we need to work on your exit strategy. Oh, okay, yeah, so let's see what's best for you then. Okay, so let's give, what, how much longer do you think you need? Like a couple weeks? Uh, yeah, two weeks works. All right, so two weeks, all right, fine. And he's not trying to trick them. He's not like Jedi mind tricking them, but if they really wanted to stay there, they would have done what was necessary, right? And so he's really working, and everybody leaves. They're going, wow, yeah, I'm going to go get a new job. And they're all excited like they didn't get fired, but they made the decision to leave. When I look at this passage, and I'm like, wait, should I be saying this? Like, everybody always tells us that God was like, get out of here. Maybe that's not what happened. Because I don't see that here. And I've read through it, and I'm open to being wrong, but it looks like they worked on their own exit strategy because they were unwilling to be honest and naked before God and say, yeah, I blew it. And we do that all the time. This is what I want to challenge you guys to do this morning. I want to close with this. What if that thing And we'll just leave it with that one thing, that one thing, that one apple. And you may go, it's not that big of a deal. Or you may go, no, this is too big. I I can't do this. That thing that you know that you need to come and sit before God. Maybe that's the reason why you haven't gone and prayed, why you haven't done 5 and 15 or whatever, because you're like, if I do that, then that's going to have to come to the surface. And I don't know if I can handle that. I don't know if I can deal with that. My question, the bigger question is, How can you not deal with that? Because to not deal with that is to have separation from God. Because that's how it works. It's not punishment like, oh yeah, fine, I'm turning away from you people. That's not how God does it. God is in the nature of running after us because he loves us. But we have to show that we're willing, like the prodigal son, to take this situation of, oh, I knew I shouldn't have done that, but I did it. I'm going to come straight with God. I'm going to confess to him and I'm going to sit before him. Maybe it's that, you know what, 
I'm not married and I'm, I'm with my girl all the time and I know I'm not supposed to do it, but I just try to ignore it. I don't want to think about it. Or maybe it's, it, maybe it's you as a girl and you're like, I'm with my guy all the time. We're not married and this or that. But like, but you know what? It's really, I mean, he, he's pushing me to this and like if I do, uh, and my parents said it's okay. And you're bl- but you know that if you sit before God, he may ask you to do something that's going to be difficult or different from what you're doing. Tax season is coming up. You've already filled out your paperwork and you turned it in or it's sitting there in your house and you know you lied on it. And it's just there ringing. You're like, well, I just got to forget about it. I mean, everybody does it. I mean, it's what we all do. It's just the way it works. It's like loopholes. My government said, you lied, right? And it's bugging you and it's like gnawing at you. Or there's something at your job and you like know that you should be doing this and you said you did this, but you're not really doing that. And it's there and you're like coming up with your excuses or it's somebody else's fault or or maybe it's a relationship, and you were a jerk. Whatever the situation was, you know there was one way to respond, but you don't want to think about that. So instead, we focus on, yeah, but this happened, and this happened, and that person did this, and this is, ah. Uh, and if I get back in the relationship with the person, this is. So you don't ever want to deal with the reality of what you did. So you don't want to sit with God, because if you sit with him, and you lay that at his feet, and you say, God, what would you have me do with it? You're frightened to hear what he says because you're not approaching him as the genie. You're approaching him saying, God, I will do what you want me to do. My faith, my trust is in you. Not in what I think is good, not what I think is best, not what other people tell me. My trust is in you. And so I am scared to death to do that. I want to go into the woods and hide because I don't want to deal with this. But I'm going to lay before you because my trust is in you. I trust that you came so that I can have life and I can have it to the full. And so I'm going to sit at your feet. I'm going to trust what it says here in 1 John 1, 8 through 10. And this is all over through Scripture, but this is just one of my favorites. And I'll close with this Scripture. If the worship team could come on up. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. That's the number one thing I said, right? Like, I have sin. If you don't know that, come ask me. I can give you a list of the ways I blow it on it. I'm going to blow it in the next hour. Like, it's just how it is now. I just know that about myself. We deceive deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God is the one that does the cleaning. He's the one that cleans you up. There may be consequences you need to fix things, but inside of you, you're purified. And if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. So, Jared and I and the team have, have uh, made a decision for this morning that we're going to do this. Um, and I ask you all to start standing. And if you want to sit, you can. But let's start standing, please. And these next few songs, whether it's two or three songs, whatever they decide, this is a time of prayer. Okay, so right in the beginning, the ushers are going to pass out the offering baskets. It's time to put the connection card in. Um, Drop it in there. If for some reason you need to turn in later, you can drop it off at the sound booth, the connection card stuff. Um, But during this time, the words are going to be up there, but the words aren't meant for you to sing them. So if you are going to sing them, please sing them in your heart. Because what we want this to be is a time of prayer. A time where you can actually sit with God to deal with that one thing. Or maybe it's two things or three things, but start with one. Make this that time. So maybe in your groups, you said, oh, later on this afternoon. But we want to give you that time right here, right now, to sit before him. And know this about our God. 
He is faithful and just. And He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will make us white as snow. God will walk to us. But when we turn to face Him, He will run to us. Because He loves us. He wants what's best for us. 